Well, hey, Easton Church, uh, this is our recording for the uh, Sunday, February 21st service. Now, we uh, recorded this on Friday afternoon um, in anticipation that we would not have water. And uh, so if you're seeing this, it's either that we still don't have water onto the building, which means most of you still don't have water, or perhaps you're just getting it. And the other thing we want it to be cautious about is being that the water was out for so long and we were below freezing for so long, we don't know what the pipes are going to do. We didn't want to find out with a bunch of people here on a Sunday morning. So this is the plan going uh, for, for today. Um, the annual meeting that we were planning on having this morning uh, or Sunday morning, the 21st at 9.30, we're going to move to uh, a later date. We will let you know what that date is, um, and then we will get communication out regarding that. So here we are this morning. Hopefully where you're at, you're warm. Hopefully you are getting water or you figured out how to live in your current situation. Um, and, you know, quite honestly, um, it's probably a good thing that we didn't meet in person this Sunday because some of us would have been ripe. Okay, so um, here's what we want to do this morning. Uh, a few things for you. One, if you've never visited us before or you've never given us information before, would you take a moment? There's going to be a link below if you're on Facebook or YouTube. It should be in the comment section. And it's going to have our connection card. It's a great way for you to be able to connect with us, uh, to let us get some basic information from you. That way we can stay in touch with you about what's going on, how you can be involved, things like that. The second thing is this, if today would be normally a day you would worship through giving, and that's something you're wanting and able to do today, you can do that through our online options. Uh, and again, the link will be below uh, uh, in the comments section. All right. And then uh, anything that we need to communicate with you for the coming week, we'll, we'll just stay in touch. So tune into our Facebook page. Make sure you're getting emails from us. If you're not getting emails from us, let us know, especially if you think you should be. You can email us at general at Houston.church. And just let us know if you're getting emails. Or, um, let us know if you're not getting emails. I do not need to hear from you if you're already getting them. If you're not getting them, that way we can stay in touch with you. All right. Um, the other thing I'll say to you this is hopefully by now we've, we've been staying in touch with many of you and you've been connected to um, your smaller communities here in the church. If you have needs that we can help with, um, please let us know. We cannot do anything about your water situation as far as running water, obviously. But if there's a, a, something else that you think we might be able to do, let us know. Or if you have a need, let us know so that we can then put that out. And maybe some of you who have resources or an abundance of resources or you have the ability to help might be able to do that. Do that. So let us know. All right. All right. Here's what I want to do. Um, it's been a long week, a long couple of weeks, perhaps. Um, we, uh, we know we've got many cattle ranchers uh, in our congregation. Uh, we have been praying for you. And... Uh, my prayer often, just when I would wake up and I'd think about you guys or when I'd see your post and I'd, and I'd see what you're going through, Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, sustain them. And so we're going we're gonna to pray for, for you guys specifically as well uh, as we pray this morning. But here's what we need to do. Um, it's easy to get in a rut and to focus on what we don't have. This morning, let's just start out by thanking the Lord for what we do have and for what he is doing for us. So we're just going to, we're just going to, and maybe where you're at out loud, you can do it. Maybe you're going to do it inside your mind, but, but we're going to do this now. We're just going to start thanking the Lord. We're just going to start listing things off. We're going to pray and then we'll go into the rest of our worship. So Father, uh, we are so thankful to you. It's been a long week, a long couple of weeks for, for many. And, and yet God, uh, we're, we're thankful that we can thank you. 
We're thankful that we have life still. We're thankful that, that we are able to breathe. We're thankful, God, for the food that you provided for us and continue to provide for us. Uh, God, we're thankful for the, the water that we do have to drink or through the snow that, that some have been able to, to boil. God, this could have been a completely different situation if that snow wasn't on the ground. And, and so, God, we're thankful for your provision through that. God, we're thankful for the homes that we get to be in that protect us from the cold. And, and God, for the electricity that we do have that, that hopefully lets us heat our homes and, and stay warm and for the vehicles that we have, God, and, and for the, the gasoline and, and for the, the jobs that so many have that have been able to provide for us to be able to provide for families and, and God, for for our farmers and ranchers, God, um, the, the fact that they're able to keep going and God sustain them and, and give them the strength that they need and the stamina that they need as they are continuing to, to go and care for their animals and their livelihood. God, we, we thank you for the calves that have been born safely and the ones that are surviving. And God, we're, we're thankful for uh, the way that you are continuing to protect and, and guide each person for, for what they need from you. Father, we're, we're grateful for our, our families that you have given us and that you entrust to us. And God, we're thankful for the time that we have with them. As much as we want to maybe kick those kids out to school or out of the house, God, we, we're thankful that we, we have them. Father, we, we can continue to thank you for the relationship that we have with you because of what you've done for us in Christ. Father, we are, we are grateful that we have people who are working to provide the things that we have come to, to love and trust in so much, things like running water and electricity. So God, we're thankful for the people who are working to restore those things. Help us, God, to be grateful for them and then also teach us not to be so dependent on others where we need to learn to be self-reliant in, in extreme circumstances. God, we're grateful for those who, whose jobs include rescuing those who are in trouble and, and who are first responders on the front lines away from their families, not in the warm environment where their families are, but now they're going out to, to take care of those who maybe have gotten in tough spots or who had to go to work but got stuck or whatever the case. So God, protect them. We're grateful for them. God, we thank you for our city leaders who have an immense amount of stress on them and criticism coming their way. And God, we just pray that you would give them the wisdom they need to make the best decisions for the people that they are responsible for. Father, we pray for uh, our state leaders as they are looking at widespread um, devastation and impact. And so God, give them the wisdom that they need to make the decisions that they need that would be in the best interest of the people that they are entrusted with leading. Father, and then uh, for our, our national level, because this is something that is on a national scale. God, I pray for people in Texas. It, as bad as many of us might seem to have it here, it seems that Texas has been hit a lot harder. And so, God, we pray for your mercy there. We're thankful for those who are working to restore the power. We're thankful for those who are working uh, to, to restore water where that's been lost and to fix pipes. God, we pray for our plumbers in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we pray that you would give them stamina and uh, thanks for your provision for them in, in what they do. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the many ways that you are showing yourself faithful to us even now. God, we're, we, we were mindful that even in the midst of loss where we, we lose 
the, the, the conveniences that we have, water, electricity, or we lose things that our livelihoods depend upon, calves, um, cows, um, or, or, or something else. God, we are, we are mindful that you, God, are still good. And as Job said, though he slay me, still I will praise him. God, stir that up in us this morning or wherever we are at this point, uh, whatever time of the day it is, stir up in us a reminder of your goodness that though you, you slay us, that we will still praise you, that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. God, you are unchanging and you are mindful of the birds of the fields, the flowers, the birds of the air, the flowers of the fields. And if, if, you, if you feed the, the birds and you're mindful of when a bird falls and, and you clothe the flowers, aren't we those who bear your image more precious and more valuable than those things? And you know our need even before we ask. And so you, you told us, Jesus, to seek first your kingdom. And then all these things will be added to you. So God, change our mindset that we might be people who continue to seek first the kingdom, especially when it's hard. It's easy to seek first the kingdom when we have all of our comforts and all of our conveniences and things are going well. But God, this is where the, the spirit at work within us becomes even more evident is when we're able to seek first the kingdom, when what would come naturally for, uh, for us is to seek first ourselves and our own comforts and conveniences. So God, stir up in us an affection for Christ this morning, despite what we are experiencing or have experienced. Cultivate in us through the fruit that your spirit produces in us, thankfulness for what we have, because all that we have is from you. And it's often when we don't have that we become reminded of our dependence upon you and, and your faithfulness to give us far more than what we even need. For so many of us, God, uh, we, we are blessed with more than we could ever need. So God, let that fuel our worship this morning. Speak to us, encourage us, uh, infuse strength and life and vitality into us and patience and compassion. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together. Well, good morning, church. Let's worship together. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. I love you bring light to the 
darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and great are you Lord cause it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you Lord and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you Lord cause it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. Thou art, then sings my soul, 
my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. And when I think that God is Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall in humble adoration and there proclaim my god how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art you are the only one i need i bow all of me at your feet i worship you alone you have given me more than i could ever have wanted and i want to give you my heart and my soul Sing it out. You are the 
look me at your feet I worship you alone you have given me more than I could ever have wanted and I want to give you my heart and my who you are and we lay all for everything at your feet the challenges of this week we lay them at your feet we recognize you are God maybe the challenges that we see upcoming this next week God we lay them down we recognize that you are God and you alone are our father and you are good so God I pray this morning you would help us to rest in that, to rest in your goodness, to rest in your faithfulness, to rest in the trust of your provision. So God, would you speak to us now, God? I pray that you would use Justin as he brings your word. And even though we're scattered this morning, I pray that you'd bring us together with one heart. God, I pray that you'd speak to us now. We pray it in Jesus' name. All right, well, let's jump in this morning or wherever, whatever time of day it is and whenever you're listening. We're going to be in Romans chapter 2, uh, verses 17 through 29. We're picking up in a section that we've been in for the last two weeks, um, and then now this will be week three, and we'll have another week in the same section where, where it's kind of a longer section of what Paul's doing in the letter, and he is building a foundation uh, and, and an argument that by the time we get to chapter 3, verse 21 or so, he's going to flip the, the, the script. He's going to turn the tables, and we're going to see what he's been doing this whole time. 
And so here's, here's where uh, we're, we're going to start this morning. It's easy for us, think about this for a minute. It's easy for us to think that because I'm connected to a covenant community, or I'm connected to a religious community, or I'm connected to a church, or if I get even more specific, I'm connected to a denomination or a non-denomination denomination. denomination. Um, if If I'm connected to this covenant community, then I'm connected to God. And just simply being connected to that covenant community, having some kind of association with this covenant community, or I've grown up in the church might be a way we, we might say it. Um, or we might say, my parents were Christian, and I was raised Christian. Um, we might say things like that. And in saying that, uh, what we are trying to persuade ourselves and others of is that, therefore, I'm okay with God. I'm okay before God. I'm connected to the covenant community. Therefore, I'm connected to God. Or maybe there's marks of the covenant community, signs or symbolism that we, we start to rely on. This past week is a great example. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. If you come from a more liturgical a background, whether that's Catholic, Episcopal, um, Anglican, Methodist, Presbyterian, um, the, the Disciples of Christ, so the Christian denomination is what it's often called. Um, the, these types of denominations are more liturgical in the way they do their worship, which means they have a, a set form. Uh, maybe sometimes we call them high church or whatever the case may be, but they participate in Ash Wednesday and they put ashes on the forehead. We don't do that here at Houston, not because we don't, we don't um, agree with it. It's just not something we practice, but it's been practiced in the church for a long time. It's a, it's a, a good reminder of um, the, the, the place that we've come from. We have been created from dust and we will return to dust. And it's, a, it's part of the, the preparation process and the season leading into uh, Easter. But I, I bring all that up to say it's easy for us to maybe get that Mark, I, I remember growing up, I grew up in a denominational church and uh, we, we practiced the, the, the ashes. And I can remember after I got past the I feel weird part of it, um, I, I can remember then, then thinking, um, man, people are going to see this and they're going to think how devoted I am. Right? People are going to see this on my forehead and they're going to think, wow, he's, he must be connected to God in a, in a special way. And so um, sometimes we can take covenant signs and we can, we can put our reliance in them and think because I have this mark or this sign, this symbol, I'm somehow more connected to God. Paul's going to go after that kind of stuff this morning. As we look at Romans chapter 2, verses 17. Now, he, he previously, let's just do a quick recap. He's previously said in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, he, he described behavior that uh, a, a typical Jew would, would, would look at and say, that's a, a non-Jewish person's behavior. You know, given over to sin, um, practicing defilement and idolatry and, and uh, types of, of sexual sin. A, a, a good Jew would say, that's a Gentile, a non-Jewish person's behavior. That's not what I would do. And yet Paul continues in chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, like we looked at last week, 
And he's saying, hey, you're not excused, you who judge another person and yet you do the same things. And he was kind of, kind of um, ambiguous in who he was talking to. He never directly addressed uh, someone specifically. He just said, oh man, and you who judge. Well, this week he's, he's continuing as we look at verses 17 and uh, through the end of the chapter, he's continuing that same line of thinking. But now he specifically turns his attention to the Jewish person. And remember what Paul's doing in this whole section, one, chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to about chapter 3, verse 20 or so, is he's, he's laying this foundation that there's nobody who's exempt from the judgment of God. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what your ethnicity is. Um, it doesn't matter how you think you are doing living your life. You're not exempt from the judgment of God. And, and where he's going to ultimately go with this is point out the need for what God has done through Christ. Why is there a need for the righteousness of God to be revealed in the gospel, right? And so here's where we're going this morning, a little bit of a different angle than we, we looked at last week. Your connection to a covenant community does not connect you to God. Okay, your connection to a covenant community does not connect you to God. And Paul's going to list two different ways that uh, the Jewish persons uh, that he's imagining himself talking to as he's writing this letter. And that would have been in the community that was hearing the letter. He, he's he's, he's going to address two particular things that, that his audience, this Jewish person, might think, because I have this or because I do this, I'm connected to God or I'm exempt from the judgment of God. I have a special position that that person doesn't have. Your connection to a covenant community does not connect you to God. And then at the end, we're going to see how that, how that applies to us today. Here's the first thing Paul's going to go after. It's connection through covenant knowledge. So your connection to a covenant community does not connect you to God. He's going to go after now your covenant knowledge. What's that special content, that knowledge that you have because you belong to this covenant community? So let's look with, with me together at chapter uh, 2, verse 17 and 18. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And we're going we're gonna to go on to, to verse 19 and 20, and then we'll come our, our way back. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law in the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Okay, um, so I'd gone a, a little bit further there, and let's go ahead and just read verse 22 as well. You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? All right, now, now let's kind of walk back just a moment and see what Paul's doing here. So if you call yourself a Jew... Now, this designation of Jew, it's something that came up. Um, you remember, you might remember in your Old Testament that at some point, the nation of Israel, which was made up of 12 tribes, they split into two nations, the, the northern tribe, uh, a group of tribes, and the southern group of tribes. The northern group of tribes uh, consisted of 10 out of the 12 tribes, and largely in the Old Testament, particularly the later part of the Old Testament, be became known as Israel. Sometimes they were called Ephraim. Sometimes they were referred to as Jacob. Um, and they, they ended up falling into captivity to the nation of Assyria in 722 BC, somewhere around there. All right, but then you still had the southern kingdom, which consisted of the other two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And they held on a little longer. And eventually in about 586 BC is when they finally fell uh, to the Babylonian uh, empire. 
And so this southern kingdom, which would oftentimes in the Old Testament, particularly the later part of the Old Testament, would be called Judah because of the primary tribe that made up that, that southern kingdom, Judah. Um, so they were led into Bab- Babylon. While they were there, a descriptor rose, a, a particular way of describing this group of people, these people from Judah who then were led out into captivity. They were called Jews or Jewish, right? That's where it came from. And so when they came back from captivity, they were known as the Jews, right? And then that, that name stuck, that description stuck. And, and then eventually it became uh, used to describe the, anyone who was descendant from Abraham through Isaac through Jacob, right? So Jews, right? Now, it's important to keep in mind the way Paul uses this word because he's going to talk about Jews and he's going to talk about Israel later on. Um, when Paul uses the word Jew, He's oftentimes using it to describe the ethnicity of a person, the physical relationship uh, uh, of, of ancestry to Abraham through Isaac through Jacob. So a physical Jew would be someone who was related to Abraham through Isaac through Jacob, right? Okay, it doesn't matter what kingdom they belong to. At, at, by Paul's day, it was used to describe all of them. It was an ethnicity description, Right? And with that ethnicity description came the heritage of the Jewish people. So he says, if you call yourself a Jew, right? and there would be some, some pride in that because the Jew is the one who would be able to look back on their heritage and, and say, I have a special relationship with God. I have a special connection to the true and living God because I have the law. My people were given the law. My people were given the prophets of the Old Testament. Moses was was from our line, right? Um, Our people have promises from God that no other group of people have. So being a Jew would come with a certain type of pride if a person gave into that temptation. So Paul, going after that, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, by the way, these things are good. These things are good things. If you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law, the law that God gave to Moses, and you boast in God, and you know his will because you have the law, and you approve what is excellent. Why? Because you have God's standard, so therefore you can discern what's excellent. And, 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 and so if you have these things, he's, he's starting out with some assumptions. If you have these things, he's not, he's not being negative about these things. There's, there's nothing wrong with calling yourself a Jew if you are one and, and then relying on the law and boasting in God. Those are good things. The law is from God. And, and this word rely um, has the idea of resting in uh, for the sake of uh, uh, receiving benefits or security. So if you rest in the law, if you rely upon the law that God has given and you boast in God. Now, we think about boasting in our Christian culture here and we, we hear boasting or we hear bragging and we immediately think bad, self-centered, selfish. Most of the time it is, right? Because that's how we typically relate to it. But it's not wrong if the boasting and the bragging is placed in the right person, right? I mean, so, so th- if, I'm, if I'm bragging about myself or I'm boasting in myself, there's a problem there. Why? Because I'm not the highest being. I'm not the one with the, the highest level of, thor- of authority. I'm not the sovereign. But if I boast and rely upon the sovereign, the one who is supreme, the, the highest being, 
then, then that's an acceptable thing. In fact, that would bring glory and honor to the highest being, the sovereign God, the creator, right? If I, if I brag about God and I boast in God, I'm bringing honor to God. I'm, I'm shining light on God. I'm elevating God to the position that, that he should and rightly is in, right? And so Paul's not condemning boasting. In fact, we need to boast more in God than we do. Right? We, we've kind of created this idea in our, in our minds and in our, in our Christian subculture here in the, in the West that, that we can't brag and boast in God, but, but in doing so, we're actually robbing God of the glory that he's due. And so we need to do better at boasting in God. I mean, think about the, some verses that come to mind. Psalm 20, um, some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. Uh, the, the psalmist in Psalm 34 would, would, would say, I make my boast in God. My soul boasts in God. Or I think of um, Jeremiah 9. Uh, and maybe this is where Paul is pulling this, this idea from. But Jeremiah 9 um, that says, um, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let he who boasts, boast in his understanding of who I am. And he goes on to describe the Lord. And so there's, there's room for boasting in the Lord and relying upon God. And, and we need to do that more. We need to give God credit where God is due that credit, right? And so it's not wrong for us to, to boast in the right person, in the right place. And then, so Paul here is not initially, he's not a condemning boasting. If you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and you boast in God, those are not bad things. Here's the question that we should be asking and, and where Paul's going. Can a person, can a Jew, truly, perfectly rely on the law and boast in God without sinning? And, and of course, the answer is no. And that's what Paul's been doing, and that's where he's going. So if you could do this, and if this is the case, that's a great thing. And, and theoretically, if a person could rely upon the law and rest in the law, and they were perfectly obedient to the law, then theoretically, they've, they're meeting the righteous standard that they're seeking, that God would require. But the theory is not reality. And that's what Paul's doing here, is he's saying, hey, you, you, if you call yourself a Jew and you, you rely on the law and you boast in God, theoretically, if you could do that, this, this would be okay. And, and you can approve what's excellent and, and because you're instructed from the law. He, he's, setting up a, he's setting up a foundation here because then he says, and if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, so still good things, right? He, he's, not, he's not calling out hypocrisy yet. He's saying, hey, as, the, as a people who are in a special covenant with God, the, the nation of Israel or the people of Israel who became a nation, they were created by God to be a light to the nations. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, we'll talk about how God's people, his, his people Israel, his servant, are ultimately to be a light to the nations. 
Isaiah uh, 49.6 says something similar. Or, or a guide to those who are blind. Um, talks of, again, uh, it's the ministry that God's people of the Old Testament Israel would have had to the other nations. See, God inherited the people of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. Right? That he, he divided up the nations according to the number of the sons of God. But Jacob, or another name for the nation of Israel, Jacob was God's inheritance. And God inherited those people so that through Abraham, he made promises to those people that through Abraham and his descendants, ultimately the, the people of Israel, they would be a light to the rest of the nations. They would be a guide to those who were blind to open up the eyes so that through the nation of Israel's relationship with God and, 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 and God's revealing himself through uh, the, co- uh, the covenants and the, the law, that God's character would be revealed and, and his, his compassion and his faithfulness and his goodness and all of that would be revealed in his relationship with the people of Israel. And as the people of Israel would go out to these nations as missionaries, which is what they were supposed to do, they're to be a light to the nations, then the people would be drawn back to God. That, that's God's purpose and plan this whole time. So if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish and a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, all of those things are true. The people of Israel had these things through the covenants, through the law. This was, this was their special covenant knowledge. And so Paul's saying, hey, if you call yourself a Jew and you have all these things, And maybe as they're hearing this first part, they're going, yep, yes, we do. Yes, we do. But look what Paul does. You then who teach others. See, now we're we're, we're about to turn some things. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Um, While you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples. And so Paul's now is calling out hypocrisy. Hey, if you have all of this knowledge, a special covenant knowledge, you have the law and, 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 and you, you have the ability to discern what's right and what's wrong, what's excellent because you've been instructed by the law and you, you are a light to the nations and you're, you're a guide to the blind. Do you pay attention to the very teaching that you teach others? Do you practice what you preach? Do you walk the talk? And of course, the, the underlying answer and the assumption is you don't. Because what, what Paul's calling out is the, the well-known hypocrisy among many of the Jewish people in his day. And we saw it in Jesus' day. Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders who would pride themselves on their ancestry and their, their relationship to Abraham, their physical Jewishness, their, 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 their relationship to the law and the, the righteousness that they believed that they had earned by living in light of the law. And, and he's saying, hey, you don't even teach yourself you, you steal. Well, how did they steal? Think about some of the ways that, that Jesus interacted with these religious leaders. How they would, they would um, pride themselves and brag about how they would tie the tenth of, of mint and dill, right? They would meet that requirement of the law. And yet when they had family members in need, they would take their extra resources and they would cordon it off uh, so that it was uh, specially designated as uh, given over to God, and, and in doing so, they didn't have to then help others. 
but it was still available for them, right? They, they would use um, what they believed were loopholes in the law so that they would not actually live in accordance with the law and, and do justice and compassion and show mercy, right? You, you teach, but you don't, you don't do the, the things you teach. You, you preach and, 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 and against stealing, and yet you steal, right? How, how would they steal? Well, the, the, many of the ways that they would collect money from people um, maybe they would, they would do things that were not in accordance with the law. Committing adultery. Remember Jesus, he, he really put the standard a lot higher, didn't he? When, when he said, hey, um, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you, anyone who looks at another woman, and this would, of course, apply to the reverse, if you're a woman and you look at another man, and, and, and you look at them with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery, committing adultery. So, so do you preach against adultery and yet you commit it? Maybe you haven't physically committed. You, you've, you've not strayed outside of your marriage, but do you entertain that? Do you look at pornography? Do, do, you, do you have um, emotional attachments that you shouldn't have? Right? right? He's, hey, do you do the things that you're preaching against? Right? If you're preaching from the law and you're preaching the righteous standard of God from the law and yet you yourselves are not living in light of the law, that's hypocrisy. Right? He's calling that out. All right? Verse 23. You who boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so Paul is, ultimately, he's calling out their hypocrisy. Right? You who boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking the law. Remember how he started? If you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and you boast in God, now he's come back around after calling out their hypocrisy and saying, hey, you who boast in the law, you dishonor God when you break it. It's not bad to boast in God and, and for the Jew to rely on the law. But when you do that and you boast in God and rely and you say that you rely on the law, but then you disobey the law, you dishonor God. In fact, he says, this is what's been written about you and what's been said about you for a very long time and continues to be true. And he quotes from Isaiah 52 here. The name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. Those outside the covenant community, they curse God. They speak ill about God, your God, whose name you bear, which by the way is the point of the, the, the commandment, do not take the Lord's name in vain. It has very little to do with cussing and very much to do with do you claim to belong to the Lord and then live differently? This is what that commandment's about. He's saying, you're breaking the commandment, right? The name of the God, God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. Listen, we don't need to be a people who are, who are, who are part of the covenant that God has given us through Christ. We, we claim Christ, and yet because of the way we live, we give people a reason to blaspheme the name of God. We do not need to be that. We, we already are far too often. Too many people outside of the covenant community, too many people who, who don't know God, who aren't believers in Christ, look at people who call themselves Christians and they look at their lives and the things that they, they teach and they rail on and then they see hypocrisy in their lives and they think, why would I want to know and serve the God that you claim to know and serve when this is the result. You're no different than I am and I don't know your God. We don't want to be a people who cause others to blaspheme, to speak ill of the name of God because of the way we live. 
not bringing glory and honor to God. So Paul goes after the covenant uh, special knowledge that they would have, the covenant knowledge. Remember, your connection to the covenant community does not connect you to God. Your connection or your special covenant knowledge does not connect you to God. They had a special knowledge that other nations didn't have direct access to. It's this, the law that God revealed. And in that law, God reveals who he is, his righteous character, what he expected of humanity, and how humanity could live in the presence of a holy God. Other nations needed to know that. And they could know that if the people of God were missionaries as they were supposed to be. Instead, they prided themselves in the special covenant knowledge that they had, um, lulled themselves into thinking uh, believing that they had a security, uh, a connection to God that they really didn't end up having. So your special covenant knowledge. And then Paul goes on and he says, uh, not only your covenant knowledge, but the covenant sign. So your, your, your connection to a covenant community does not connect you to God. That includes the covenant signs. What is Paul talking about? Look with me at verse 25. Verse 25, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. And so he, he goes on and, and he says, circumcision is of value. Because the question might have come up, well, does it matter then that we're circumcised? Now for the Jew, the physical Jew, the person related from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, one of the things that God uh, instituted with Abraham, you can find this in Genesis 17, was the sign of the covenant. It was an outward symbol that, that marked the covenant that God was making with Abraham. And that symbol was uh, the circumcision of males. Right, and so all Jewish males, according to the law, by the eighth day were circ on the eighth day were circumcised. It was a sign of the covenant. Well, this became a source of pride, just like anything would become a source of pride. It's the mark of the covenant. I bear the mark of the covenant, therefore I belong to God. And so Paul, Paul, maybe answering a question that would have come up in the Jewish listener's mind as Phoebe would have been reading this letter. Well, what value is circumcision then? And Paul says, well, circumcision is indeed a value. Remember, the law is from God. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's what we do with the law or try to do with the law that it was never meant to do or that we were never able to do with it. And so, so he says circumcision is a value. It's from God if you obey the law. So if you were a Jew, physically a Jew, boasting in God and relying on the law, and you were living your life in perfect obedience to the law, then circumcision is a value. It's absolutely necessary. If you were going to reach the righteous standard that, that God has revealed in the law, you had to be circumcised if you're a male. It's a value if you obey the law. In other words, if you kept the rest of the law. But if you break the law, so if you live contrary to it, then your circumcision, it's of no value. It's, it's almost, it's just, you might as well not have been circumcised in that case. And all the guys were like, well, you know. Paul goes on, 26 and 27. So he's, he's explaining his last statement. If you are circumcised and you break the law, then your circumcision is like uncircumcision. It's, it's of no value. Because for... Or so, verse 26, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his circumcision, uns his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? 
then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. And so he, he, he builds his case and he says, hey, look, circumcision is of value, verse 25, if you keep the law, but if you don't keep the law, then your circumcision is of no value. You, it's, it's like you're not circumcised. So therefore, the person who's physically not circumcised, but if he lives in obedience to the law, his physical uncircumcision, it's like it becomes a circumcision, right? The point Paul's making is it's not about the outward as it is about the inward. So verse 27, the, the one who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law, he's going to be the one that stands up in the, in the, in the day that, of judgment and, and he's going to judge you who, though you were physically circumcised, you broke the law. It's better to obey the law than it is to just boast in your circumcision, the outward sign of the covenant. And so Paul is doing what he's been doing since 1 verse 18. He's saying there's no one who escapes the judgment of God. Nobody outside of the law, nobody under the law. The law has value if you keep it. Theoretically, if you were to obey the law perfectly, you would obtain the righteous standard that, that God requires. Theoretically, but you can't. Nobody can, and you become a hypocrite. And so Paul is, is, is taking away the pride that they have in this outward sign of the covenant. Your circumcision means nothing because you disobey the law. And now he's going to give them a greater understanding of circumcision, which, by the way, is not new. You can find this in Deuteronomy. Toward the end of Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 29, 30, uh, where Paul will talk about this. I mean, not, not Paul, but Moses will say this very thing that God had said to Moses. So look with me at verse 28 and 29. Still talking about circumcision, 28. For no one is a Jew. Remember that word we, that Paul uses that as a physical description of ethnicity. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. So Paul's now about to, to redefine some things or, or he's going to help them see what was always supposed to be the case. It's not, being a Jew is not just about being one physically or outwardly. Being someone who is, who is um, part of the, the family of Abraham, therefore coming under the covenant that God made with Abraham, it's not just about being one outwardly, meeting the outward standards, right? Uh, um, being circumcised, being related to Abraham. It's not just about that. He goes in verse nine. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so this is something that, that's not new to the New Testament. This is something that, that was mentioned in Deuteronomy, that God desired not only that the outward person would be circumcised, but that there would be a circumcision of a heart, that the, the hardness of the heart, the callousness of the heart would be cut away so that God's people would respond to God in obedience out of love for God. Not in obedience to earn the acceptance of God. God had already made the covenant with them, with Abraham, and, and, and he had been faithful to keep it. He wasn't looking for them to obey in order for him to make that covenant. He was looking for them to obey out of response to that covenant. And yet what happens, and what happens so often, is we take things that God gives us, the, the knowledge or in this case, he's talking about circumcision, the, the outward sign of the covenant, and we start to boast and brag about the 
outward things and the physical things. And, and we think that our connection to the covenant community because of these things connects us to God. And Paul's saying it's not about the outward and the physical. It was never meant to be just outward and physical, but a, a true Jew is, is one who obeys the law. Yes, that includes the outward, the circumcision, but he's also one inwardly. That, that outward circumcision is just, is just an outward a sign of what inwardly has taken place because of being rightly related to God. And that person who's rightly related to God, who has a circumcised heart, which, by the way, Paul tells us is the work of the Spirit of God, and he's now foreshadowing where he's going the rest of the letter. The Spirit of God is the one who circumcises the heart. And he's, he's, he's pulling back on the new covenant, which again would have been mentioned in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and Ezekiel 36, 38, where God talked about this day where he would give his Spirit to his people. And he would make his people alive and he would cut away the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh and his spirit would be in them and, and the law would be written on their hearts and so that they would then love God and keep the law and obey him. That's a circumcision of the heart. And Paul's saying that's the work of the spirit. That, that's something God has always done for people, right? And, and has always been available for people, but, but it, it's not something that in the widespread way that it's going to happen in the new covenant. It's not been like that, but it, it was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. This is going to be a day where God is going to pour out a spirit on all people. But because God was relating to the people of Israel through the covenant, this was something that was available to them. That person who's right related to God, who's got a circumcision of the heart, their praise is not from man, but from God. And so your connection to a covenant community does not connect you to God. Now, being connected to a covenant community is good. Um, the, the, the covenant knowledge that comes with being connected to a covenant community, good, you need that. The covenant sign, good, you need that. But those on their own don't connect you to God. Now, now we're not so far removed from this as you may think. You may be thinking, well, I'm not a Jew physically. Uh, if you're a female, you, you don't have the circumcision question. Um, and, and circumcision for males is not a required thing, right? We don't, we don't live under the law. But today, we still, as people who belong to a covenant community of God, because we've come under the new covenant as we are related to Christ, we're a covenant people, a covenant community, and there's covenant knowledge, certainly, right? Where, where we, we know the gospel, we know the scriptures, we, we have the knowledge that, that comes with how God has revealed himself in the, the scriptures, we have special covenant knowledge. But just because you know the gospel, just because you know the scriptures and you're growing and your knowledge of the scriptures, because you know more about God, doesn't mean you're connected to God. And yet, so often in our, in our circles, especially the circles that, that, that we run in, where we elevate the knowledge of the Bible more than maybe some other uh, groups of, of Christians might, right? We pride ourselves in having this right knowledge about God and understanding the Bible rightly and, and, and more fully. And we th might think that because I have that knowledge, I'm connected to God. And yet our connection to a covenant community does not connect us to God. Our, our covenant knowledge on its own does not connect us to God. You can know the Bible better than anyone else. You can articulate the gospel and know that Jesus did exist and, and know that Jesus did come 
was sent from God. The scriptures do teach that. You can know that, that Jesus died for sinners and, and rose from the dead. You can know all of that, articulate that, explain that, and never have believed it. And never have applied it to your life. That it's never been applied to you by the Spirit to where belief has, has come uh, and, and been placed in that. It happens all the time. It's why in Bible colleges and seminaries, students are getting saved. Right? You're supposed to be saved already before you get to that spot because you're training to go into ministry. But it happens all the time. Because we live in a culture where we know how to articulate the gospel. We know how to explain and talk Christianly and give testimonies, right? And we can do all that. And we maybe have still never had a work of the Spirit in our life where we've believed in the gospel. It's possible to have the covenant knowledge and not be connected to God and still boast in that knowledge. I, I've had, I've told you guys this many, many times. I went to Bible college for, for three years and then seminary for five more years. And in both levels, I've had professors on both the Bible college and the seminary level, professors, who, I can't judge their heart motives. I don't know whether they're believers or not. But the list of things that Paul was going through, do you preach against adultery and then yet you commit it? I have a running list of, I keep it on my phone, of people I personally know who are in ministry, who are in positions to teach others. They're professors, they're pastors, um, they're, they're missionaries, who, who teach these things. And yet they themselves were in adulterous relationships or they were addicted secretly to porn for years and nobody knew or they, or they got involved with prostitutes. Yeah. Because it's possible to have the knowledge, the covenant knowledge and not be connected to God. And then they may, they may have been genuine believers who got caught up in sin, whose consciences were seared and, 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 and they may have been never believers. I, I would tend to lean towards they, they had seared consciences. They got caught up in sin. They, 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 they grieved the spirit at some point and, and they never repented. And over time, their hearts became hard and they continued down that road. That's what I tend to believe, but I don't really know. But I, I say that and I, I'm, I constantly remind myself of this too. Your covenant knowledge does not connect you to God. Do you need that knowledge? Yes. You need to have a growing knowledge of the scriptures and of who God is and how he's real himself in order to know him better. That's the goal though, to know him better, not to know about him. Um, the other thing is the covenant sign. You're like, well, um, circumcision is not required besides women can't, can't really do that, right? Yeah, circumcision is not something that, that's required. It was, part, it was specific for the, for the people of Israel and God gave us an outward sign. But listen, we have a, an outward sign that represents our covenant as well, the new covenant. It's water baptism. Water baptism is something that believers are required to do. It's an act of obedience. It's not required for salvation, but it's a commandment in scripture. Okay. Uh, if, if that seems like I'm walking a line, I'm walking the line. If you're a believer in Christ, you're commanded to be baptized. That's what you do, but it's not a requirement for salvation. But nowhere does the scriptures give us room to wiggle and say, well, I can believe in Christ and not be baptized. Okay, how's that for walking the line? It should be, it should be so closely um, linked, believers get baptized that, that maybe there's not even an appearance of a separation. But hear me clearly, water baptism is not required for salvation, but there's nowhere in the scriptures that give the believer room to not be water baptized if they're able. All right, 
Water baptism for us is an outward sign, a symbol of what inwardly has supposedly supposed to have taken place. Believers, before you become, um, uh, a lot of churches, before you become a member of their community, you get baptized or you have to have been water baptized as a profession of your faith. It's the outward sign of belonging to the community. How many people have been water baptized because their parents had them do it, because the church tradition they belonged to says at this age you go through this type of class and at the end you get baptized and you become part of the community. Or you got baptized because you went forward at a camp or an event and they said now you're supposed to get baptized and so you boast in your baptism and you think because I've been baptized, I've been connected to God. And I've got news for you, there's a lot of people who've been water baptized and they don't belong to God. Because your, your, your connection to the covenant community does not connect you to God. Just on, your, on its own, just being connected to a covenant community does not connect you to God. It's what inwardly takes place. It's the work of the Spirit circumcising the heart, cutting away the heart of stone and, and giving the heart of flesh. That's the work of the Spirit that takes place in a person's life that leads to them becoming a believer in Christ. And then water baptism follows. But lots of people have been water baptized and they brag and they boast and they rely in that water baptism, that outward sign of the covenant. And they think, I attend church. I'm connected to the community. I know the gospel. I've been water baptized. Therefore, I'm okay. And you may not be before God because nobody escapes the judgment of God. So this morning, as, uh, or wherever you are, whatever time it is, as we wrap this up, it's worth doing an evaluation here. Am I wrongfully boasting, misplacing my boast and my reliance on, on things that are good and right, but am I, am I trading them in for actually being connected to God by a work of the Spirit? Lord, is that me? Do I belong to you? Have, ha, has the Spirit uh, 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 cut away the heart of stone in me and, and given a heart of flesh? Have I been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life? How do you know? Well, so maybe you're doubting that. I get this question a lot, and, 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 and it's a good question to be asking. But here's what you look for. Do I have a growing desire to know God, whereas before maybe I didn't? Do I have a desire to, to obey God and to love God and, and to live in, 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 in a way that honors Him? Do I, do I find myself struggling or feeling guilt or shame when I disobey the standards of God? If so, that could be evidence of the work of the Spirit. That could be um, evidence that, that you are made new spiritually, but then you're living like you're still spiritually dead. Do I have things like the fruit of the Spirit coming out in my life where I used to not be a patient person, but now I'm more patient. Not perfectly, but more so. I used to be an angry person, given over to rage, but now I'm less so. You know, do, do, I, do I see evidence of the work of the Spirit? Ask the people close to me. Do you, do you see me more characterized by the things of God than not? Or does it seem like I'm just pretending? And that I'm, I'm trusting and relying upon outward external things instead of an inward work of the Spirit. Ask yourself that. And for others of us who, you know, that, that's not a struggle for us. We, we're, we, we know we're believers in Christ. We're assured in a, in a, a right and humble way, right? And, 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 and we're not wrongly relying on baptism or having special knowledge. It's, Lord, continue to, to grow me in 
my understanding of who you are, that I might then grow my love for you, that I might live out of that love for you in obedience to you, that I would never get to the spot where I'm boasting and bragging uh, in something that I bring to the table apart from what you have done in Christ. Here's some discussion questions as you, we wrap up that if you have conversations with your family this week, maybe you use these and we'll post them as well uh, to start some conversations. Maybe you're meeting with the discipleship groups or uh, maybe you haven't been able to meet because of the weather, but you're trading text. Kick these around in text. What do, what do you think? What, 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 are, what, what is God speaking to you through his word, through the, the, uh, what we've looked at today? And how should we live in light of that? Maybe you want to let us know. We love when you let us know. You can just put your phone, open up your smart camera, put your phone on this, and, and um, it'll uh, take you to a spot where it's got three questions. We'd love to hear your response to those three questions. All right. Let me pray for us, and, and then uh, we'll wrap up. So, Father, we're so grateful to you for uh, what you do for us in Christ. And the reminder that, that, that Paul has given us through these scriptures this morning it's not just about merely belonging to a community. Lots of people go to church. Lots of people belong to church so that they can get better business, so that they can network. Lots of people belong to church because it's just part of our culture here in, in rural Oklahoma still. Lots of people go to church because it's what you, you grew up doing. Or, or lots of kids and teenagers go to church because our parents are making me do this. God, don't let us mistake going to church, being connected to a church, a covenant community with being connected to you. God, don't let us mistake the, the fact that we might know some things about the Bible that, that, that others might know and, and make the mistake that that means we're connected to you. God, don't, don't let us mistake that just because I've been baptized, maybe I went through that class at another church and got baptized, that, that connects me to God. If I don't have an inward work of the Spirit, and God right now, I pray that you would show that to everyone listening to this, to this message. One, if they don't belong to you, if that inward work of the Spirit has not taken place, God, open their eyes, open their heart that they might believe in Christ. And if it has, I'll let your Spirit, uh, the, the, the Spirit that you've given us that now relates us to you as Father, cry out and bear witness in our, within us that we belong to you. Encourage us. Show us the, the, the evidence that we, we need to see to be encouraged that you are at work in us. That you are, you are going to complete the work that you've begun, but it's a process that we are in. Show us that. And then before we, before we wrap up, uh, you know, in another book, James, in James chapter 5, Paul talks about people who are sick, who are ill, who have uh, ailments of some kind. And in the first part, he'll talk about having the elders come and pray. But then the next part, he'll say, hey, and if anyone has sinned, let them confess. Because what James is recognizing is, is that some sickness, some ailments, some pain might be a result of personal, unrepentant, unconfessed sin. And so he says, hey, confess that, that they might be made well. And Jesus oftentimes would heal people and say, go and sin no more lest you incur a stricter uh, judgment. Or when demons have been cast out of people, he says, hey, but if they come back in, it'll be worse, right? 
And so I want to just take a moment. Some of you, maybe you're dealing with a sickness some kind, an ailment, a physical disability or pain of some kind. And I don't know. Not every, not every pain or sickness is as a direct result of sin, but some might be. And so I, I would encourage you at some point, not now if you're able, ask the Lord, is what I'm experiencing, is it, is it related to some sin in my life that I have not confessed, that I am unrepentant of? Ask him, Lord, search me and know me. One of you posted last week on the, on the message thread that uh, it reminded you of Psalm 139. Absolutely. Go read that Psalm and pray it. Lord, search me and know me and know my inward parts. And if there's anything in me that's not right, that's not of you, bring it to light. And, and now if, if you're doing that and, 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 the, and the Spirit's shining some light on something and he's showing you something, maybe he's bringing a picture to mind, a, a memory of, of, of a sin that you've committed or a sin that you're living in, or he's showing you a connection between a sickness or, or an ailment or, or a pain that you have. If, if he's showing you that and, and he's maybe helping connect it to something that, that you're, you're now aware of as sin, confess that. Acknowledge it as sin. God, I, 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 I see this now as you see this. I'm sorry for it. I, I, I was wrong in doing it. Express what's coming to, 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 to your heart as the Spirit is leading you to repentance. Remember last week we saw that God's kindness leads us to repentance. And maybe, just maybe, maybe that's what God is waiting on to, to make you well. And again, not everybody and not every illness or sickness or pain is related to a, to a personal sin. But some of you, that may be the case. And maybe God's waiting for you to confess that and he'll make you well. Hey, and listen, if that's you and, and, and you want to you talk to someone, reach out to us. And we, if you want to say, hey, okay, this is, this is what's going on. I think this might be it. We want to pray with you about that. It's not necessary that we do in every case. You can, certainly where you are, repent. Confess and repent. But if you'd like someone to pray with you, I would love to do that reach out to us. You don't have to do it here. You can private message me, any one of our staff elders. You can private message the Easton Facebook page or reach out to us however you have means to do that. All right, so God, right now, if there's someone, show that to them. There's something, God. Bring it to mind. Bring it to their heart. And Spirit, lead them into confession and repentance. And God, if you... You're so, so kind in, in this moment. And, and if, if you would show your compassion, make them well. Take the pain. Father, as we finish up and depart and go, go back to whatever it is we've got for the rest of the day, let your spirit work in our hearts and, and, and stir up in us a growing affection for you. That we might be a people who don't boast in merely outward things, but who live out of what has inwardly been changed by your spirit so that others might see light and that the blind might, might be, have their eyes opened and see you for who you are and come to you and, and, and trust in Christ and know you as God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. See ya.